Hello there, and welcome to this week's episode of Let Me Pull On Your Coat. I'm your host, as always, Peter de Villiers, and in this podcast, we go on a journey with five destinations. The first one would be through my eyes, just something I saw that um, stood out for me in the last week. A pebble in your pond is a bigger idea, something I want you to think about. And then we also have a quote. We have something on what I'm reading at the moment and a record of the week. So starting right in with Through My Eyes, um, I saw this on the BBC website and I'll put the link in the notes. A lady called Clemency Burton Hill, who used to be a BBC presenter, um, collapsed with um, what turned out to be severe bleeding on her brain. Um, She ended up being in a coma for 17 days. And when she woke up, she couldn't speak. Um, Completely lost the ability to speak. And it reminded me of um, little children when they first learn to speak or before they learn to speak you can see and it's it's maybe why we've got the terrible twos and kids tantrums and whatever because you can see their frustration in the fact that they have the mental capacity to process thoughts but they don't have the verbal ability to then express those thoughts to respond to say what they want to articulate what they articulate what they mean and seeing clemency um, on the interview um, on the BBC's website and you could see how she was having to actively be involved in speaking now as I'm speaking to you here I'm not thinking about it at all um, and I suspect the next conversation you have with someone you're not going to be thinking about how you're forming the words or anything there's no real conscious activity going on um, and it's quite a mystery how we we execute this so well but you could see that there's this active much higher conscious level of involvement in trying to formulate words um, and it's it, it it just reminded me so much of young children's frustration and how frustrating we can only imagine it must be to be a child and not able to express your thoughts which is why um, having carrot mush for the 17th time gets thrown across the room perhaps um, so but it's it's I actually found the interview quite inspiring as well and just quite endearing with how she's dealing with this situation so yeah um, quite an interesting observation then the pebble in your pond is there's a saying um, and it, it's in movies and different things always where people say oh go big or go home and I want to change that and I want you to think about going long going all in for the long term Um, and what made me think about this is we just before Christmas we had some work done on the kitchen and a big island put in where previously there was enough room for a dance but it was just in the middle of the room and you couldn't do anything with the space so we put a big island in and we've got Um, a TV up on the wall now and it's become a space where at the weekends we sit and have lunch with the girls and watch documentaries and we were watching one about the Rosetta space mission 
Now, if you don't know about this, this was a mission to land a probe um, about the size of a domestic washing machine on a comet. Okay, now that sounds daring enough as it is. I mean, how do you land something like that on a comet considering the speed? I think the comet travels at 41,000 miles per hour. So you got to catch the thing and then land a washing machine on it um, without smashing the washing machine. And it's fascinating everything they had to overcome. But what really stood out for me is the time, the time investment and commitment from this team. So the planning for this started 30 years ago. They launched the rocket and the satellite that then would carry the washing machine, for lack of a better term, 10 years ago. It took 10 years to travel far enough to catch this comet. Okay. And for the last three years of those 10 years, they had to put the whole thing in hibernation because it's so far away from the sun that they couldn't have solar panels, even though this thing has the biggest solar panels ever put into space, they couldn't have solar panels big enough and effective enough to keep this thing properly awake and communicating for the whole 10 years. So for the last three years, it's in hibernation. And then on the, on the planned scheduled day, that's all just done mathematically, it's like, okay, let's turn on one satellite in America, I think it was, and one in Australia, dishes, and see whether we can hear the ping, the, the wake-up message from this spaceship coming out of hibernation. Um, and eventually it did come through, and it, it's just, it just feels like such an incredible achievement. But the focus for me is on the fact that these people were in it for the long haul. So over the 10 years, I mean, how far something travels in 10 years, the mind boggles, especially when you think about the fact that they were using the Earth and one other planet, I can't remember which one, the gravitational pull of planets as a slingshot because they can't have enough rocket power for this thing to travel this far. And it's just outrageous that it's all just done on calculation and it's like, okay, we reckon if we're here at this distance, here at this time of the year, then the gravitational pull will be a slingshot that fires us further into space, where then with a bit of luck, we'll arrive at the right time at the right place to have another planet slingshot this thing further out into space. And this went on for 10 years. Three years of it, they had no communication. They were just hoping, well, let's see in three years' time whether we, we get a ping. Um, and then it's the management from there on when they then get close enough to this comet that the comet isn't made up of what they thought it was. It's reacting completely differently. The shape is just different. And the, fo the photos that this thing beamed back is just incredible. And then it's working out, okay, where on this comet traveling at 41,000 miles an hour are we going to land our washing machine? Um, and it worked. It's just incredible. 30 years. I mean, it's for most people, that's a career. It's one project for your entire career. But what a project. So think about what you're trying to achieve. Go long. Don't just focus on going big, but go in full on, but long.
So then the quote comes back a little bit from um, last week's Pebble in the Pond about um, accountability and responsibility and how and I talked about people going to prison but when they come out of prison effectively we still label them and, and it's still the prison sentence was just the start rather than it actually having a start and end as a punishment if that's what we want to use it for excuse me so it makes me think about the whole cancel culture someone does great work for 30 years they say something on twitter and suddenly um, it's as if they never existed because they've said something that is not socially acceptable and yes it might not be socially acceptable but that shouldn't negate 30 years of really good work and just sort of try and wipe them from history um, which seems to happen a lot these days and this is a quote from Aretha Franklin um, and I suspect she meant it more from a creative endeavor perspective but I think it fits both cases and the quote is, you cannot define a person on just one thing. You can't just forget all these wonderful and good things that a person has done because one thing didn't come off the way you thought it should come off. And I think it can give us a lot of empathy, perhaps, more for people. It's like you sometimes feel people are defined by their most recent mistake. Um which doesn't seem right. So Aretha Franklin, you cannot define a person on just one thing. You can't just forget all these wonderful and good things that a person has done because one thing didn't come off the way you thought it should come off. Moving on to what I'm reading. Um, I'm reading The Practice by Seth Godin. Um, and it's a really easy read. He, whether it's written and planned as short blog posts that's then compiled into a book on a particular subject. I'm not quite sure, but it, it reads that way. It's lots of really short chapters. And I mean, by that, I mean, page and a half long, um, very easy. And he talks about the practice. Now, um, halfway through the book, he hasn't told us what the practice is yet. Um, I suspect we'll get to the end of the book and he still won't tell us what the practice is, but you infer what the practice is. And the practice is, from what I can tell, um, uh, so uh, committing to the practice rather than the outcome. So this is now episode 19 of this podcast. Um, I've personally, for myself, I've committed to doing 100 episodes, but I'm not really committed to the goal of 100 episodes. I'm just the commitment, the practice is doing an episode every Friday, the same way that um, Seth Godin writes a blog every day um, and has done for eight years or so. I think he's got seven and a half thousand blogs written. Now, he never committed to seven and a half thousand blogs. He doesn't think of it in that way. It's just tomorrow he'll write a blog. He'll write a blog the next day. Um, Pete, my business partner, he started doing a daily blog and it is just about doing a daily blog. It's not the bigger picture necessarily. Um, and it's the same for me with this podcast. I do a podcast every Friday. I've got no idea what's going to happen between now and 100 episodes. Um, I might get to 100 episodes and still have a small audience and just doing to a large extent for myself. Um, but I'm committed to the practice of doing a podcast episode every Friday. 
rather than thinking about it long term. And that means I can succeed every week because every week I release an episode, I have achieved my goal um, rather than being worried about what the state of a podcast might be come episode 100. So that's The Practice by Seth Godin. Um, It's written around creative endeavor. Um, The subtitle of the book is Shipping Creative Work, but um, the way that he phrases it, that's really any work falls into that category. Now, the record of the week is by um, pianist Brad Maldow. Um, The album's called Finding Gabriel, and I can't really highlight any standout tracks on it because it's really a, a whole piece. And the best way I think I can describe is is it is a if Keith Jarrett, Mark Ronson did a version of War of the Worlds, then I think you might get to something a bit like this. Um, um, Brad is a jazz pianist, um, but if you you go and pick three three of his albums at random. Um, if you don't know him at all, you may think you're listening to three albums by three different artists. Um, once you really get into it, you can then pick up, yes, it's the same guy, but he he does very diverse um, albums, um, which is great. And Finding Gabriel is really interesting. There's a whole, um, not so much a whole story to it in the way that War of the Worlds there is, but there's definitely a theme and it's, it's sort of um, a never-ending piece. Um, so I highly recommend that. I, I really enjoy it. Um, and yeah, that's Brad Maldo, um, Finding Gabriel. And with that, we're at the end of this week's episode. Thanks for joining me again. And I hope you'll be here next week. I will be. And hopefully you'll give me another chance to pull on your coat. 